You're listening to an audio resource from Vineyard Church of the Rockies in Fort Collins, Colorado. We are joining God's mission, transforming all things, and you're invited. To learn more about us and how you can connect, please visit VOTR.Church. Welcome everyone on the live stream as well. We know that every week there's about 75 to 100 of you tuning in online and just want you to know that we're praying for you and asking God to meet you wherever you may be tuning in this morning as well. If we've never met before, my name is Jeff. I'm the lead pastor here at the Vineyard Church. And before we jump into scriptures, let's take a moment to just celebrate and look forward to some of the things that are happening here at the Vineyard in the coming weeks. First, a quick celebration. You know, alongside of our friends at Convoy of Hope, last night we hosted a Christmas outreach called Winter Wonderland, and we served over a thousand people in our building. We've done this four years in a row, and it just keeps growing every single year. The word is getting out that people will be cared for, and they can experience hope in this church. And so they came, they had pizza, they received uh, new clothes, socks, shoes, Christmas toys, prayer, groceries, of course, so much more. And I am so grateful for Convoy of Hope, and I'm so thankful for all of you who made that happen. We had over 125 volunteers show up to make winter wonderland happen. And so thank you as well. I mean, events like this, it's, it's part of us joining God's mission, transforming all things. And so I'm so grateful for the way that you sacrifice. I'm so grateful for the way that you plug in and help these things happen. I also want to draw your attention to VOTRweekly.org. If you have your phone with you, you can pull it out. You can type in VOTRweekly.org in the web address because in the announcement section will be everything that you need to know about the upcoming Christmas season. If you just go to the announcements and begin to cycle down, you'll see all the different events that are taking place. We have a special service called Blue Christmas. This is uniquely designed for anyone who might be struggling this Christmas season. You know, we sing joy to the world, we gather, we celebrate, but not everyone is celebrating this time of year. And so if you know someone who is grieving or mourning or experiencing loss or just having a hard time, uh, come to Blue Christmas. You will experience the comfort of Jesus Christ. And even if you don't need to come, you probably know someone who should. And so you can invite them as well. That's been a special service the last few years. And then on Christmas Eve, we'll have two services with nothing on Christmas Day. And if you've never done Christmas Eve with us, the whole family is welcome. We invite everyone to come in for a family-style service. We'll have a kid's moment in the middle of Christmas Eve, which honestly is probably going to be better than any of the preaching you're going to hear that day. The, the worship will be great. and We'll wrap up with a special candlelight service as well. You guys liked and laughed at that a little too much. I like to think the preaching will be decent. Uh, we have a downloadable text invite, and so we would encourage you to download that, send it out, grab the paper copies that you saw on the seats around you, grab extras on your way out. Listen, people will come to church on Christmas Eve, and so we would encourage you to invite them, and we promise to treat your guests with incredible love and grace. A quick important detail along those lines then is that the Sunday after our Christmas Eve extravaganza, we're going to be doing only church online. 
We've done this the last few years, the big Sunday after Christmas Eve, and it's practicing, you know, limited self, unlimited God. It's, it's great for our staff and volunteers to have a Sunday with just online church, but we would encourage you to tune in because we have a special service that Sunday, a way to kick off the year together in a powerful way, and uh, it will all lead us into our January month together called Holy Hustle. Last year we had Holy Sweat. This year we have Holy Hustle. It, it's a great way to start the year off together. We'll have a Bible reading plan. We're going to read a book together as a church. There's going to be ways to engage and interact on social media. And so be sure to get connected to sign up for Holy Hustle as well. All of that will be kicking off on January 1st. That's probably the longest announcement I've ever given before I've preached. But there's a lot going on. And of course, it's always great to celebrate uh, the way that we're reaching our community together as well. All right, transition then into the sermon for today. Last week, Natalie and I got to co-preach, and we kicked off our new series called Limited Self, Unlimited God. Limited Self, Unlimited God. You know, a human heart that is connected to the power of God can do amazing things. But even still, as we compare our power and our lives and our limited selves to the unlimited God, it becomes glaringly obvious very quickly that we are limited, but we serve an unlimited Lord. This week's message is titled, Limited Power, Unlimited God. Limited power, unlimited God. As humans, we do have limited power. Our strength eventually fails. Our minds eventually slip. And the power to make money and get promotions and climb the corporate ladder eventually tires. I hate to be such a downer for you this morning, but it doesn't matter how many motivational speeches you listen to. It doesn't matter how many podcasts on your unlimited potential that you have in the queue, eventually you will come up against the reality that you are limited in your potential and you are limited in your power. Of course, our culture doesn't believe this. There's a whole cultural narrative out there that says you can accomplish anything you put your mind to. And you truly do have unlimited potential and power. As an act of discovery this week, I just wanted to explore that culture narrative a little bit more. So I went down a, a, a rabbit trail on Amazon Books just to see what was out there. And I came across a lot of garbage, as you probably can imagine. I did copy and paste the back of one book that you could purchase. I put it into my notes. So I'm going to read. I can't help myself. I've got to read this one. I'm going to keep it anonymous. But I do want to read the back of one book. It's a popular book. It sold over 9 million copies. And why not? It promises you unlimited potential and unlimited power. I would think that a lot of people would want to get their hands on that book. But this is what it said on the back of the book. Yes, you can do, have, achieve, and create anything you want out of life. Said author, who is the undisputed master of the magic of mind power, will show you how to harness yours. He demonstrates passionately and eloquently that whatever you think will be, that your state of mind will determine what you can and can't do. And that all of these successful results can be modeled and duplicated. His enthusiasm is contagious as he shows you how to, one, reprogram your mind in minutes to eliminate fears and phobias. Two, discover the five secrets to wealth and happiness. 
Just five. They happen to cost a little bit to get them. And you might need to sign up for some more of his stuff, but then you'll have all of the keys to wealth and happiness. And three, master the ultimate success formula. Said author calls it the new science of personal achievement, but you will call it the best thing that's ever happened to you. That's the book. And as I was sitting at my desk with my scriptures open, I just couldn't help but think, you know, Jesus Christ might have something to say about the back of that book. Because the more I study the word of God, the deeper I'm connected to the person of Jesus, and the more of God's power I experience in my own life, the more I disagree with that book, and the more I trust in these words, the more I trust in that biblical truth that, no, we are limited, but we serve an unlimited God. There are limits to what we can accomplish in our life, but when we connect our lives and our hearts to a limitless God, only He knows what could come from it. See, I, I do have limited power. I have limited power, so do you. We are in desperate need of a Savior. We don't have enough power to make it to heaven on our own. We don't have enough power to change the world. And truthfully, anytime we try to change even our own lives, many of us come up with the reality that we don't even have enough power to transform our own soul. I mean, I might have enough power to like create behavior modification for a week or two at a time, but eventually even that strength fails. And I'm back to the drawing board wondering why I can't see long, sustained, and consistent changes in my life. See, we all need the power of Christ working in our lives for salvation, but also continued transformation. We must stay connected to Christ to see any kind of growth in the Lord. If you're here this morning and you've never made a decision to become a follower of Christ, Yet you know you need to be forgiven and adopted and established into God's family by God's power. Then by the end of our time together, we're going to give you a chance to respond and make a first-time commitment to Jesus because it's the most important decision that you could ever make. And it will change and transform your life. But even if you've been following Jesus your entire life, I bet there have been times when you've relied on yourself more than you've relied on God. I bet there have been times where you've been tempted to trust in your own power more than the power of the cross. Is this just me or is this like, can we get some collective head nods that maybe we are kind of understanding what I'm talking about? There are times when we've all been tempted to believe the cultural narrative of our day that if you just work harder, if you just power up a little bit more, or if you can just make better personal decisions, then somehow everything will work out in your favor. But the gospel has something to say about all of those ideas. And the life of Christ stands as an antidote to this myth of unlimited power that we see in our culture. Today's scripture is found in Philippians chapter 2. Philippians is four chapters long, and basically every theologian agrees that our passage for today is the most important piece of scripture in the entire book of Philippians. We're going to start in chapter 2, verse 5. This is how Paul writes this to the church. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death 
on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Verse 5. It starts with some directness and almost some forcefulness. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And if you've ever wanted to have the same attitude of Christ, then let me just encourage you, maybe memorize this passage from Philippians 2. Just put it in your mental bank, uh, ruminate on it in your heart, recall it to memory time and time again, pray through the scriptures and ask God to transform you. Invite the Holy Spirit to shape you from the inside out so that your life and mind reflects Jesus Christ. But since today's message is titled, Limited Power, Unlimited God, then let's just work our way through the text and pull a few points from the scripture. First point, like Christ, you don't need to cling to your power. Like Christ, you don't need to cling to your power. You know, each and every one of us, we do have a degree of power. It comes in varying degrees, Some of us have more power than others, but power is funny because it also shrinks and it grows with seasons of life. It ebbs and flows as we go about our lives. Depending on your age and stage, you may have financial power. It could be large or it could be small. We all have relational power. You have the power to forgive or the power to despise, the power to welcome or the power to reject. You even have physical power. Right? And that physical power could be increasing with, with every bicep curl that you accomplish or a mile that you log, or it could be decreasing with every birthday or bad habit. <laughs> a couple chuckles from those who've had recent birthdays. This is a real thing. Our physical power, it comes and it goes. We all have a degree of power, but Christ has taught us that power isn't something to cling to to reach for, to cherish in a disordered kind of way and hold close to our heart because truthfully power, it comes and it goes and it ebbs and it flows. And if you look at Jesus Christ, who by the way had unlimited power in heaven, he modeled this perfectly for us. You can see it in verse six, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Jesus had all the power you can imagine. All the power you can imagine, above and beyond the created world, and he didn't cling to it because he had a greater purpose than power. He was indifferent to the power that he held, and because of that, he never got off track with his greater mission, which was to redeem all of creation back to to God. Redeem all of creation back to God. I'd like to offer you something this morning, just with love, but also a bit of directness. That if you cling to power in your life, life will not go very well for you. That if you begin to worship power, if you begin to cling to power, if you begin to hold it and draw it close to your heart, even giving it something in the center of your heart that you might rest your life upon, if you cling to power, life will not go very well for you. And what's interesting about it, as you cling to power, you may actually grow in power. And it may seem like things are going very, very well for you. 
But eventually, if you over-identify with financial power or relational power or even physical power, these things eventually fade. And then what do you do? What do you do when all the power that you've been trying to accumulate your whole life begins to fade? My guess is you'll begin to feel a loss of identity, a lack of identity. You may even begin wandering in life feeling a bit lost. I'll never forget when this hit me in the hardest kind of way when I was in college. I was a college football player, and this hit me just right in the gut. Now, as, as I say that, I also just want, I want to say, at the same time that I tell you I was a college football player, I just want to tell you I, I was not a great athlete. I was a very average athlete. I wasn't even invited to, to, to be on the team with an athletic scholarship. I was an academic walk-on. Okay, that's the kind of athlete that I was. I, I would have never been picked up by Deion Sanders as he touts his fame and draws in all of his recruits to the Buffaloes. I did play defensive back, and I remember one day as I was playing, I went in to make a tackle on a wide receiver screen, and as I made that tackle, all three linebackers came to clean up that hit coming from the other way. And based on my size and stature, you can imagine who ended up on the bottom of that pile. That was me, right? My foot, though, was planted directly into the ground, and all the weight took my knee and landed it straight onto the ground with my foot still upright. I had never felt so much pain in my leg as I did in that moment. Of course, I got taken out immediately. No x-rays were done, but the physical trainer checked me out, and she told me, hey, you probably have a high ankle sprain, and here's the gig. If you can fight through the pain, you can probably keep training, and you can probably keep playing, and I'm just stubborn enough that I thought we'd give it a go. <laughs> Deadlifts never hurt so much in my entire life. I remember sticking my leg in ice baths like all day, pulling them out to reduce the swelling, taping it as fast as I could so that it wouldn't balloon back up and then giving it a go. But every single time I tried to change directions, I would just collapse to the ground because my legs couldn't hold up my weight. I had finally had enough and I decided to go get some x-rays, which probably should have happened in the first place. But I'm stubborn, so I just thought we'd give it a go. And as it turned out, I didn't have a high ankle sprain at all. I had broken my fibula in three places. <laughs> three fractures right down my leg. The doctor came in and he said, so what have you been doing? <laughs> I was probably destroying my liver because I was taking ibuprofen like it was candy, just trying to mitigate the pain of the injury. So they put me in a boot, they gave me crutches, and they gave me a recovery plan, but truthfully, I never really recovered. I lost speed, I lost agility, and I lost power. And when you're not that fast, and you're not that agile, and you're not that powerful to begin with, you can't even lose a little bit of that. Like, that's all that you have, and so you need to bring everything to the table every time. And I began to lose a step. My power was failing, and, and all of a sudden with it, so was my identity, my social setting my friendships. The entire reason I chose that school in the first place, it was all crashing to the ground. I loved what little power I'd been able to accumulate in my life, and now it was slipping out from my fingers. I felt empty. I felt lost. And this is exactly what happens when you over-identify with power, and you over-identify with strength 
and relational power or whatever kind of power it may be, and it begins to be taken from you. Soon after, I'm very thankful that I found out about Jesus. I found out that he could give me a new identity, that I didn't have to cling to my own weak and fading power after all, but I could trust in his, and that I could even begin to live my life like Christ, who willingly laid down all of his power for a much greater purpose. I'm thankful for encountering Jesus in my college years. But this is what happens when you don't lay down some of that power before these moments. All of a sudden, you feel a bit lost. And I can't help but wonder for each and every one of us this morning what it would look like for us to lay down some of our own power. Lay down some of our own power in whatever context that is, whatever context you find yourself in. And listen, I'm not talking about quitting and like calling that giving up power and calling that a godly thing because Jesus never quit his mission. He just didn't over-identify with power to begin with because, again, his purpose was greater than power. And I have no idea what it would look like for you in your life to lay down some power, but I do know that strangely, if you walk that path, your life will begin to look a little bit more like the life of Christ. Laying down some power so you can experience life with Jesus. If you continue in Philippians, you just keep coming across points like this that fill out this message, limited power, unlimited God. The next one is similar, but it's from a slightly different angle. And it's that like Christ, you don't need to cling to your position. Like Christ, you don't need to cling to your position. And for many of us, power and position, they tend to grow together. It doesn't always happen that way. There are, of course, outlying examples. But for most of us, power and position, they they do grow together. If you finally get the position of the starting point guard, it's going to be hard to give it up because all of a sudden, all the offense runs through you. You have a lot of power. If you get promoted to manager or some kind of C-suite position, all of a sudden, your power also increases with that position. In a similar way, it's why many of us love social media, because we can just project our position in life out to the world around us, even if it's not that authentic. And sometimes these positions and and sometimes these promotions or places of power, they they can come directly from God as a blessing into our lives. And and it's true that other times we're uneasy about them because we're not quite sure if it was from the Lord or or what it was. And it requires some discernment. But no matter what kind of position comes into your life, as verse 5 said, we must all have the mind of Christ. We don't want to cling to these positions in an inordinate kind of way, allowing them the center of our hearts. Because that's not what these positions were meant for. Thankfully, we have a perfect example. We have a perfect example in the person of Jesus Christ. Read verse 7 with me one more time. Instead, he, Jesus, gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Like Christ, you don't have to cling to your position. And again, don't mishear me. I don't want you to walk out and think that the Lord is asking you to just walk away from every responsibility or position in your life. That's not what I'm saying. Jesus never stopped being God's one and only son. 
when he was on his mission to redeem all of creation. He just knew that he didn't have to stay in his heavenly position to make it happen. Jesus gave up his divine privileges. He left heaven and came to us. I mean, think, think about that for me. He left heaven and came to us. Really think about that. He left perfection and came to dysfunction. Have you ever thought about that? In, in heaven, by the way, in heaven, everybody loves Jesus. They have no problem worshiping him. They have no problem adoring him. They have no problem laying their crowns and laying their life at his feet. He left heaven where everybody loves him and he came to earth where some people loved him. A bunch of people were ambivalent at best as long as there was something in it for them and a whole bunch of people wanted him dead. But he gave up his divine position. He gave up his divine privilege and he came to dwell among us. Jesus could only do this because he knew where he came from and he knew where he was going. And the same has to be true for us if we're going to walk in this ourselves. If you don't know who you belong to, if you don't know who loves you and accepts you and welcomes you, then giving up your position is going to be incredibly difficult. If your identity in Christ isn't secured in God's love and forgiveness and acceptance, then no matter what position you hold in life, it will always feel like a struggle to lay it down. Because that position, truthfully, it all begins to make us feel a little bit better of ourselves, right? We have to know where we came from and where we're going. I, as I was praying this morning, I just I couldn't help but think, man, we all need to grow in this. Don't we all need to grow in this? Our experience and understanding that no matter what happens in our life, no matter where we end up, no matter what path we go down, that God loves us and accepts us no matter the positions that we hold in life. I think we all could grow in this. And I am convinced, I am convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that the degree that we grow in our security of God's love for us is also the degree of indifference that we can grow in the positions that we hold, whatever they may be. And so if we have positions, then it's great, and we give God glory, and we give Him honor. But if we don't have positions, then so be it. We can still follow God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, because we know where we came from, and we know where we're going. Like Christ, you don't need to cling to your position but there's even more. As you continue to read in the text, we come to the next point that like Christ, you don't need to cling to your life. You don't need to cling to your life. It's all been building to the apex of this in this passage. It's all been building towards verse 8 and beyond that he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Now, if you are into discipleship and, and following Jesus and Christianity, this is like your AP class in discipleship. This is where you get your PhD in Christianity, that if you want to be like Christ, ultimately, you have to lay down your life before him. Thankfully, for most of us in this room, it means that we won't have to die a criminal's death on a cross. But it probably means that at some point in your life, you're going to have to lay it all down and trust him with the results. It means that you're going to have to lay down your plans and ambitions and your whole entire life so that you can pick up 
what he has for you. And here's the thing about following Jesus and laying down your life. It's not a one-time decision. It's not one and done. The, the first decision to lay your life down with Christ is obviously an incredibly important one, but so is the next decision and the next decision and the next decision because it's a relationship and it's a process. And as you go down the journey with Christ, you learn more about yourself and you learn more about him. And as you follow and as you keep saying yes, He'll commonly put the thing or his finger on the thing in your heart that that maybe you've kind of been holding back this whole time. And he'll say, what about that? Will you lay that down? Will you lay this down? And will you choose to follow me again? If you look at Jesus in this scripture, there's something important for all of us to consider. There's something important that just jumps right off of the pages for us. And it's that humility and obedience grow together. Humility and obedience grow together. Verse 8 says that Jesus humbled himself in obedience to God. He humbled himself in obedience to God. Now, humility and obedience, they're not exactly very popular words right now. Those aren't words from the back of that book that sold 9 million copies. Did you notice that? They They were shockingly left out. Humility and obedience aren't words that are going to make you insta-famous on social media and a YouTube star. These are not words that will make you incredibly popular, but they are words that define the life of Jesus Christ. And they are words that define the way of the cross. Jesus gave everything so that he could save everyone. Scripture teaches that it's God's desire that all might be saved. And in order to see this happen, Christ laid down his power. He walked away from his position, but he even laid down his entire life for you and for me. That's how much he loves us. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he wants you to experience salvation, how much he wants you to experience his eternal purpose for your life. He laid his life down on the cross. And the beauty of it all is that his humiliation eventually led to his exaltation. The way he was humbled eventually led to his glory. So let's close by seeing how that glory played out, reading the end of this passage in Philippians 2 one more time, starting in verse 9. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus was disgraced on the cross, but now he's exalted in his resurrection. And every time you recognize Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, whether it's the first time or the 10,000th time, you are actively engaging in limiting yourself and limiting your power and embracing our unlimited God. The best thing that you can do is to worship him and adore him, to bow down before him and confess that he is Lord. Because when you declare that he is God and that he is Lord over your life, it means that you are not the Lord of your own life. But there is a God at the center of your heart. There's a God at the center of your life. And you are intentionally limiting yourself to receive the unlimited God. 
So let's once again commit to giving him the highest and most central place in our hearts and in our worship, because this is a true reflection of what's already happening in heaven. All of this honor, all of this worship, all of this adoration, he's already receiving in heaven. So let's join that heavenly chorus once again with our lives, with our voices, and with our responses. Let's pray.